G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast 93, uh, brought to you by Strike.com.au, Australia's biggest supplier of Bluetooth car kits. Um, joining me tonight, I've got people from uh, all over the place. I've got Barbarian, Hugh Cavill, mate, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Plenty to discuss. Yes, there's, there's a lot to get through tonight. Um, and I've got uh, Andrew Logan, mate, how are you? Hey, I'm well, boys. How are you doing, Matt? You good? Yes, I'm very well. It's good to good to have back on. We've had a few tribulations with the internet tonight, so um, that, that's <laughs> why, the usual. Yes, yeah. so we've got a lot of people. We've got everybody coming in um, by phone and on phone on the phone, I should say. Uh, with me is uh, Waratah's prop, uh, Paddy Ryan, mate. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. Well, thanks. G'day, boys. Mate, um, Hi, Mate, good good to have you on. Now I know just from the pre chat we we're having just just on the phone here, you've got some history here with with Logs. Does he owe you money or, or what is it? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Well, I probably owe him a little bit actually. He gave <laughs> uh, between him and Guy Reynolds, uh, yeah. who was a major sponsor of the Silver Foxes, they gave me a gig there when I just got back from Ireland um, back in early 2008, so okay. yeah, it was a bit different shape to what I am now then, but uh, that was great, and I had a really good experience out there with Logues, his skipper, I think. Yeah. So, and and where, where are the, for those who don't know, where are the Silver Foxes? They're, uh, they're like the ex-Wallabies team, basically, and then they just chuck a couple of young blokes in there, so it was me and... Um, and a couple of hacks. <laughs> yeah, a couple of guys that work on the desk of the quarry. One of them is pretty handy, actually, Jace Ryan, who... Uh, Decided that he didn't want to pursue footy. He played a few games, first grade for Eastwood, and played Australian A schoolboys, I think. So. Okay. No, it's cool. the first grade cricket too, Jason Ryan. He was a very good cricketer. Yeah, yeah, Gunn. He's up in the uh, he's up in the Tiwi Islands now, working for Matty Hayden. So doing some good stuff up there with the uh, with Tiwi College. Cool. And what did you have to What did you have to do with them? The legs? You... Sorry, with who? With the with the silver foxes, mate. Oh well, I was uh, Richard Harry and I were the the instigators of the Silver Foxes. Um, you know, some sort of seven or eight years ago, I suppose. And we we started out just wanting to have a game with some mates. And um, the the interesting part about it for me was that all of Dick's mates were all Wallabies. So we ended up with this team of what was effectively just our mates, but it also had sort of twelve World Cup winning Wallabies in it. And we started just pulling some sponsors together and playing some games around country New South Wales and making money for charity and drinking a few beers and having a lot of fun in the process. And um, we sort of always tried to give a few young guys out of the academy or something a run just to, um, you know, just to introduce them to the fun side of rugby and, and make sure that they got a bit of a taste of that. And Paddy played for us um, out at Millamalong, uh near Orange in 2008, I think it was. Um, yeah. We had a pretty good fun night. Um, finished up with Joe Roth doing greatest hits on guitar and things like that. So... Sounds awesome. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> nice one. So, so P- Paddy, probably taking you back to the beginning, maybe before um, uh, Miller Malong, um, mate. How, how did you get into rugby in the first place? Um, well, uh, I was I was put down to go to Joey's from um, when I was about six weeks old. So, 
um, I was always going to be going there. So I was always going to end up playing, but I wasn't going there until about year nine because I was, I was out in Tamworth and so mum wanted to keep me at home. And so she started playing for the Peel Valley uh, Rugby Club, which is the Tamworth Junior Club, and then they are called the Tamworth Tricolours. And, um, yeah, went from there, sort of played under 10s, 11s, I think all the way up to 14s there, and then um, went down to Joey's in year nine. And... Uh, yeah, sort of really started to roll on from there. Went, uh, but I've always really... It's been my only real sport, to be honest. I played a bit of soccer and I'm terrible at water polo and stuff. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Because you're a great build for a soccer player, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I was Bozzy token fat goalkeeper, so I made the pretty simple transition <laughs> into front row. <laughs> Excellent, mate. Well, look, um, you share something else with uh, another one of us here and that I was also booked into Joey's about the same age as you were by the sounds of things. And also got yeah. also got taught by uh, brother Anthony Boyd Spot, and I I understand that he had an inter- interesting interview process for you when uh, you went and had a chat with him. <laughs> yeah, it's done around this. He uh, <laughs> when I was in the brother Ernest when I went in for my interview, brother Ernest, who's a famous uh, Joey's headmaster, was away, and so Boydie was doing my interview, and um, yeah, somehow I ended up packing down against uh, a very expensive couch in the headmaster's office of Joey's uh, showing him my body shape. And uh, I think mum was, mum was pretty perturbed by sort of what had gone on there. And so Boydie to try to make up a bit of ground with her said, do you read any books, Patty? (laughs) (laughs) I think your mum was sold. And so from there we, yeah, (laughs) Joey's and it was good. Pretty interesting first experience. That's, that's the entrance exam, mate. If you can read that you're in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's like that. You know, we we uh no, we had some pretty smart blokes there playing first. I mean people would be surprised to know guys like Peter B in my year was sort of studying three and four in at maths. Yeah. But uh but yeah, no, it was good. It was a great experience. Great experience. One of the best experiences with rugby would be playing with Joey. And and mate, I'm also told that you had some other experiences in your gap year. Now, to start with, I understand that you were sporting a pretty interesting haircut. Do you want to maybe describe what 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 look you were going for in, in at that time? <laughs> look, I don't know uh, what the rating of your program is in terms of uh, how many kid viewers you've got, but I think stories from Gap should probably stay, <laughs> stay on Gap. We we the mate, we have none. That we have no. There's no standards on this podcast, as you oh, as, yeah, you're, as right. you're rapidly well, finding uh, out. So don't worry. Yeah. Feel free. Well, I might try to protect my reputation a little, but I did have a, I did sport a horrible haircut. It right. was a, uh, it was my normal brown hair, uh, shaved quite short with, uh, with about, oh, it would have been a four or five inch, uh, mullet at the back that was dyed, uh, white blonde, a bit like John Daly sort of color. Oh, so, nice. bit of two tone, bit of two tone, the reverse. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like the reverse Jerry Collins almost. And where, where were you getting around with wearing that? Uh, all of Europe. I was at Clongoeswood College, which is where um, both the uh, uh, Carney boys who play for Ireland now were at, uh, were at school there. And yeah. it was a pretty prestigious sort of old Jesuit school. And um, yeah, they, they, they didn't particularly like it. I, was, I didn't have that haircut while I was there, I don't think. I think I was traveling. Did, did, you, wear that, did you wear that haircut back to Tamworth for the Country Music Festival? I didn't. I didn't. It would have gone down a treat in town, probably not with mum. But um, yeah, no, I uh, I sported it around Europe. I think for about a month, and then got sick of it and cut it off. 
you've done more to find out about that though. I thought I'd buried that. Yeah, well, I've got, I've got more than that, mate. So I don't know if this is yeah, going to go. go. So apparently there's a story concerning the chef and that your mate dobbed you in. Have I, am I onto something here? I don't know. You might have to film me in a bit more. Uh, well, that's all I've got. things that happen over there. <laughs> I did nothing concerning the, 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 the chef then or a chef. No, we had a chef. We had a chef that looked after us a fair bit, Chief, and uh, he's still over there kicking around. He looks after all the gaps. He's sort of a... Uh, a little Irish bloke that doesn't doesn't mind the taste of uh, the odd pint, okay. and so he just uh, yeah accustoms the gaps to a uh, to to a good lifestyle over there and make sure they settle in well. And he's a great little bloke, and uh, yeah, I think that's the only chef related oh, story. So, I've got. That, so that sounds like a uh, a spelling mistake or a, a typo that uh, autocorrect that I that I got through there, mate. But look, um, <laughs> let's let's move on then. So, I mean, you've really exploded onto the scene this year. Um, you know, what's different? What, what, what's uh, happened different for you? Um, I, don't think, um, I don't think I've changed a great deal. My, car- my ball carrying's definitely improved yeah. um, under Michael Checker and Alan Gaffney in particular. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, no, look, I've felt like uh, since I've been signed to the task, this is sort of, you know, what you've been building towards. Um, I, I felt like I was probably held back a bit last year um, by a foot injury that sort of put me out for three months and then I came uh, straight back in and got two starts against the Brumbies and the Reds and from that got picked in the Wallaby squad and then I re-injured the same foot and so I was out for a month. So um, I had an interrupted year last year mm-hmm. um, and then I m- managed to get my first test cap and so I sort of think from that I really took a lot of took a lot of confidence and a lot of experience, especially from being around guys like uh, you know, Nathan Sharp and and some real old hardheads in that uh you know, Steve Moore and stuff like that. Guys in the Wallaby pack that you can sort of really learn a lot off just by looking at them and uh and watching them. And yeah, I've come back and check it plays the kind of footy that I can really associate with. It reminds me a bit of how we used to play at school and mm-hmm. um just really enjoyed um, his work ethic is just about all the boys have. I mean, um, there's been ramp up in the paper about sort of unhappy people there, but I can tell you it doesn't. It certainly doesn't feel like that in the change room, despite the uh, the unhappy start of the season in terms of the win loss ratio. Yeah, well, we'll maybe just talk about that in a sec. But you, you talked about what um, Gaffney's been helping you out with the with the ball carry. I mean, what what particularly have you been working on with that? Uh, probably hitting the ball at pace and uh, trying to run a line, trying to get your lines right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, being being uh, tight head, you're not going to be able to offer much in terms of footwork and stuff like that. And so, Riff, uh, um, you know, kindly showed me the way to hit, hit a hard unders line and just just be always looking for that that kind of line. And even if they're not going to use you, you know, you can draw a few defenders and they use you out the back. He uh, he sort of taught me the hard way though. I came back from my first session. Uh, pre-season the first week of January yeah. and I wasn't quite doing it right and so I got sent for an old-fashioned lab like <laughs> Riff just told me with, with plenty of expletives where to go and uh, make it all the way around the park and then <laughs> done that a few times to me to my embarrassment <laughs> in front of all the team but it's, it's definitely helped uh, and, and who's, is that is that um, Cheeks or is that or uh, Gaffney? That's uh, that's Gaff- Gaffney who does that, yeah. Okay, so so he's uh, he's quite the hard head, is he at training? Yeah, he gets he gets pretty fired up, and uh, you know he gets a bit red in the face and stuff like that, and then 
you leave the field and it's to play on, it's all fine. So it's really good. It's uh, really changed the the way we train at the Tars. You know, obviously Checker's quite a passionate bloke as well, and then you've you got that good balance there with uh, with Daryl Gibson, who sort of you know is quite technical and um, quite laid back, like a lot of Kiwis, and so. That's a really good sort of little combination there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and I'm really enjoying it. And so who, at a training session, who would tend to do what? So um, between those three guys, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if, uh, yeah, if you came to watch one with the media, you can see that it's pretty, Griff sort of does the warm up or, you know, doing quite the normal sort of handling stuff. That's mm-hmm. uh, Alan Gaffney. We call him Riff. Yeah. So he'll just be doing the handling and stuff at the start and running onto the ball and sort of, you know, running our little plays like our, you know, switches or hitting a short line or whatever. And that's sort of part of the warm up. And then um, you move into a bit of team orientated stuff, which is uh, Daryl and Check balancing. Daryl's more defense and uh, Check does a bit of uh, attack, but they both sort of, you know, use, do a little bit of, little bit of both. And then uh, if you split into units, sort of Daryl and, uh, Riff go off with the backs and Chet comes with us and Andrew Blades is doing a bit of stuff with the scrum and yeah, it's good. Cool. So that's all the setup. Paddy, you made an interesting interesting remark uh, a couple of answers ago that you felt like this style of rugby the Tars are playing is a, is more like school, more like Joey's. Um, in, in what ways specifically? Oh, it just reminds me a bit of that. Well, I think um, Brother Anthony, the way that he is, um, isn't perhaps... Um, a technical coach who would consider himself ahead of the game, but he's um, very, very good at dealing with young men and getting the best out of young men and uh, committing them all to the cause. And I feel that uh, I feel that Czech, Czech is is a bit like that. Um, I don't think I don't think he'd claim or he'd be um, you know annoyed to hear me say that he wouldn't he doesn't you know lose sleep over technical aspects of rugby. I mean, there's simple techniques which you have to be able to get right and simple stuff that he makes sure we get right. Um, but he's definitely really good at sort of bringing a group of young men together and um, sort of, you know, trying to uh, bind a group that was, you know, sort of quite disorientated and uh, lacking a lot of confidence coming out of last year. And that sort of reminds me of it. And then obviously, and I think the style of play, they've both played it quite simple. Um, in terms of using your big blokes to carry the ball forward and then try to give it to your quick guys out wide. So, yeah, I mean, I think you, you can tell by the, by the, way, we, by the way we'd look um, that that is quite similar. It's quite a simple brand of rugby. Um, it remind, just reminds me a lot of school, probably from those aspects. Yeah. Um, Paddy, you know, uh, you, you know, you've been talking about your ball carrying and it's, it's been a big improver for you, but... Um, I was sitting there watching you guys the other night and, um, you know, it's tempting when you're watching TV to just watch the attacking side because that's where the ball is and you start sort of watching what they're doing. But I started watching the Cheetahs line and just looking at them forming up and looking for where the weak spots were or where there seemed to be a bit of a hole or whatever. And there was a period there just before half time um, where you guys, when I was looking for those holes and looking for those little kinks in the line and the little weak spots that you guys just seem to be able to really hit them consistently and you did that for a period of time and that, and it was seemed to be the period of time when you started to dominate the game and I was just wondering if that is something that you guys have worked on is looking for where those holes are looking for where those little weak spots and kinks are and hitting at them or was that just coincidence? No, I don't think it's a coincidence but I don't think it's not something 
when we get together on a Monday or a Tuesday morning um, at the start of the week or even during pre-season, that's not something we would specifically speak about. I think that's something that would come with the part of, uh, with the style of play we're trying to play. You know, you're looking for those, that turned shoulder or, you know, that prop who's a little bit back from the rest of the guys or, um, you yeah, know, like yeah. a, a, small, a smaller bloke like a Cyril Pretorius on Saturday night, on uh, Friday night or a 5.8, and that's what you're sort of looking at because, you know, that's where you're going to get your most metres and then you guys, mm. your backs can play off it. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it seems that's what you were, uh, whether you were sort of trying to do that specific thing or whether that was happening through the style of play. And I, I was saying there are a couple of people, um, you know, waving their hands in the air at the end of the game and going, oh, geez, the tail's got beaten again. And and I said, you know, really, I thought there was some real positives in that in that part of your game, the way that you uh, the way that you guys carried and hit the line and broke the line on occasion. And and I think if you can do that consistently for longer periods you probably really start to test some sides. Is that the feeling that you guys have? That's certainly the feeling I have, yeah. I mean, being we've only had one day of training this week because we've got a Sunday game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think. And uh, it could well be that the backs do talk about that stuff and I would have no idea. I, to me, it just seems like a byproduct <laughs> of the style of play we've got. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mate, how are you finding? Uh, I mean, you, the scrum um, held up uh, pretty well on, on the week on the weekend. Um, one of the things that people seem to want to do is put tight head props that uh, they're either pot plants or um, or they, they they can't scrummage. Uh, you seem to be really trying to marry those two things up. What what are your thoughts on that debate? Yeah, I think uh, I think if there's a country where you're going to be able to marry them both, I think it's Australia mm-hmm. uh, or maybe even maybe New Zealand uh, because we're a country that loves an exciting brand of rugby. And if you look at just about all our test forwards, um, they can carry and pass. Yep. Um, and I think that, you know, once those guys start, you know, if you get your front row and start to scrummage right, then I think it could be a really exciting aspect, um, so exciting prospect for, uh, for, yeah, both Super Rugby and then higher stuff as well. Um, I mean, I think Charlie Famolina has done it pretty well over in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I think he's obviously been a good test prop. He had a good spring tour and a good uh, rugby championship, and he carries the ball as good as any prop I've seen. And then, obviously, Ben Robinson can do it as well at loose end. So there's a few guys around, but I'm certainly that's certainly something I'm focusing on just because of the way Checkers sort of working near this one is to carry. And, and mate, um, assuming you get a few more starts uh, this season, um, or, you know, and I'm sure you'll, you'll find your way on the paddock plenty of times, you know, who are you looking forward or anticipating uh, packing down against from uh, the other teams in, the, in Super Rugby? Who, who have you got your eye out for? Uh, oh, well, I won't be packing down against him this weekend, but I'll be really, because uh, he's a tight end as well, but I'll be... I'm, I'm looking forward to the prospect of playing against someone like Charlie Famolina. Yeah, I think uh, I played against him in the trials when we played the Blues over in uh, over in uh, North, I think it was Northland in Whangarei. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I'll be really looking forward to that uh, that sort of battle. You know, he obviously carries the ball well, so um, you know, we, like, who carries the ball better on Sunday would be a good indication of where sides are going to be going to be at. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you always want to pack down against guys like The Beast and Tony Woodcock and guys that are real benchmarks for where you are in terms of scrummaging. And so those guys will be 
uh, an exciting prospect. I found, I, I thought, uh, I think it's Connie Ustazen, or I'm not sure what his first name, how to say his first name, but Ustazen who played for the Cheetahs on uh, Friday night, he was pretty handy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that'd be, some, that'd be someone you'd be looking for to scrummage against in the future. He, uh, he's coming back from injury, obviously knows what he's doing. So, okay. Yeah, there's plenty out there, but the, the test guys are the guys you want to measure yourself by. They're the yardstick. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, who have you kind of, if there's anybody you've kind of looked um, looked up to and, and enjoyed their game and tried to take things from it, who, who would that be? Oh, I get on pretty well with uh, Ben Robinson, the fat cat. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's been pretty good to me, but I think our, uh, our sort of front rowers, Front rowers union at the Tars is pretty good, you know. Um, I learned a lot from Al Baxter before he went. Um, I get on quite, you know, get on well with uh, Sakopi Kepu and Jeremy Tills, and we're all pretty tired. And I've even spent a bit of time, as we all have, talking to uh, Matt Dunning over the last couple of weeks. He's been in and around, and he's obviously, you know, a, uh, a, a good, was a good prop for the Tars and a, and a really good guy. So, um, blokes that I've been in contact with like that, I've, I've learned a lot from. Okay. And uh, I've really enjoyed enjoyed their expertise. Andrew Blades has been really good, and Mark Bell and Michael Foley in terms of coaching. Yeah, uh, it's been a few. Cool. And Logs, I think you got one to finish up with, mate. Oh, look, I just wanted to. You just mentioned Tilsey there a minute ago, Jeremy Tills, who's been uh, with the Tars now probably about seven years, I think. Um, and uh, I had a little bit to do with Tilsey um, when he was still in reserve grade at Sydney any years ago before he even got a contract. But he's come right on this year as well. Now, you know, is that is that just a change of personnel that seems to suit, you know, coaching personnel seem to suit some guys better and they emerge? Or has he just got, you know, has he just matured as a front rower? Or what's happened there? Um, you know, something happened to him last year. He sort of he had a bit of a, in terms of selection, he was probably struggling a little bit um, uh, because I think uh, you know Michael Foley had a big value on the scrum, um, and so we bring Checker in, who's obviously a second row or back row. He doesn't doesn't find it it's as important, and so he's happy to give a bloke like Tilsey, who's a great worker and a good ball carrier, uh, more of a chance. But I think towards mm-hmm. the back end of last year, Tilsey sort of really tried to. Um, improve his game and he actually he was the man of the match in the shoot shield final against Southern Districts which is a very hard fought game with a lot of a young guys game, yeah. playing in it you know like there's some good players out there that day until he got it and definitely deserved it so yeah I think something's probably changed for him but uh, it's great to see him going well because he's a great club man and a great bloke to have around and I think that's probably indicated by the fact that he's still there seven years on and he hasn't played a, a whole heap of footy but you know, coaches still want to sign him and keep him around because he's a, he's a mm. great guy mm. and, a, and a wholehearted player. All right, mate. Look, we've taken plenty of your time and we're a bit late getting you on tonight with uh, the tech tech problems. No, that's all right. But um, it's been great having you on. It's great having a chat. Um, and uh, you know, good to good to see you getting a run out and um, having a couple of great games there um, so far. And hopefully that continues. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. It's good to chat to you as well. Okay. All right, mate. Well, look. Hey, good to talk to you, Paddy. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. And, uh, mate, look, uh, you've got three uh, Waratahs uh, supporters here on, on the phone, so um, I think I think we're all liking a lot of what's going on and we just hope it all kind of pulls together. So um, go well. Yeah, we're going to pull together this Sunday, so everybody who's listening, make sure they get out there because you wouldn't want to miss an Arvo game when it's half turn this season. <laughs> Sounds excellent. All right, thanks, Paddy. Good to talk to you, mate. Cheers, guys. See, see ya. Bye. Right, see you, mate. Bye. Good one. Right. Well, I mean, uh, 
eloquent bloke, actually, isn't he? Front yeah, he's very well spoken. Well, he can he's, he can also read a book as as uh, Brother Anthony tested. Well, well actually, no, Brother Anthony asked him if he liked to read books, but we didn't actually get the answer to that. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually I actually had one, my one Paddy Ryan story. Which I probably I, I didn't tell him actually, but my, um, I'm I'm in the same year of, year as him at school, and except I was at Shure and he was at Joey's, and. Um, I never reached the, the heights, but of rugby. But uh, one of my best memories at school was in that in the, our first fifteen, beating Joey's first fifteen at Hunters Hill in, in and it was the last year of Paddy Ryan and Curtly Beal and Peter Beetham. And Paddy Ryan pretty much kept Joey's in the game. I think he scored two tries, and the final score was sixteen fifteen. And we held and Peter Beetham being held up over the line was was the last play of the game and we all charged onto the ground and, and I think it, it, it devastated the Joey's boys. But uh yeah, that that I mean Paddy Ryan, he was a schoolboy prodigy. He was huge as a schoolboy. Yeah. And uh it's great to see he's finally sort of you can see he's he's matured physically and now he's sort of a instead of being a you know, a bit of a butterball like he was back then, um he you know, he's a legitimate sort of the big muscly bloke now. Yeah. Oh and and really being you know that it was interesting hearing about the technical bits that uh, Alan Gaffney or, or um, uh, that Riff's been doing with him. Um, you know, just a few little tips and um, obviously giving him a bit of a prod, um, the difference that it makes because, you know, he's really, ex- you know, I, I said it in the interview, but he's really exploded onto the scene this year, hasn't he? I mean, obviously you saw that potential a long time ago, Logs. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's... Um, well- it, oh, sorry, sorry, Logs. I just want to say, you know, it gives weight to the to the argument that props don't really, but you know, props mature a lot later than other players, and really only hit the prime of their careers in, you know, when they start to hit twenty six, twenty seven. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I think um, we definitely saw the potential, but uh, as I said, we introduced those guys to a, a different style of rugby, and I think um, we sat up a lot of the time on the Friday night before the game, drinking red wine and listening to Tim Gavin tell stories about the old days, which is just hilarious. If you ever get a chance to listen to Tim Gavin tell a story, yeah. he's one of the best. And uh, so the boys were a bit dusty on Saturday when they had to play, <laughs> the young fellows. And, and Paddy had just got back from Ireland and uh, done his gap year and had a fair few Guinnesses as well. So I think he was... It was, and I, The other thing I remember about that day was it was about 42 degrees and the polo field that we were playing on at Millamalong is just like the bottom of a frying pan. It's got no breeze or anything and yeah. it was so incredibly hot. So, yeah, he had a tough day that day. All the boys up front did, but uh, there was definitely potential there. Great. Well, I mean, it's always a great way to prepare for um, high-temperature rugby is a, is a piss-up oh, the night, yeah. night before, I find. Three or four bottles of Coonawarra does wonders for your hydration. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and interesting, I mean, actually, you know, a few little um, insights there into the Tars, I think, um, with, you know, even some of the things that were unsaid. But, I mean, he he's definitely sounding energised. And you hear it out of just about anyone um, who gets a microphone put in front of them that, it, you know, genuinely they sound all really energised and wanting to play um, for Cheeks. Um, so, and, you know, and, and that team. Um, you know, we'll talk about the Tars and their performance last weekend in a bit, but overall, how how are you guys feeling about how how it's kind of coming together? You know, do you think that's right, or you, you think um, actually nothing? You know, we're a year on and nothing's changed. Baba, where's your head on that one? Well, look, I, don't, I certainly don't think nothing's changed. I think there are some positive signs. I, I think we're not yet at that point where we really, you know, where I'm demanding results. I, I uh, 
I'm a little bit more patient than other people with this. I, I can see there that last year there were some serious problems and and um, you know they they don't turn around overnight. Mm. Um, at the same time, we've got to start winning some games, and we're putting together phases, you know, 20 or 30 minute periods where we're playing really good rugby, and that's I suppose what keeps keeps me coming back. And also, the other thing is that clearly the players, from what Paddy Ryan said, and what also what Tom Carter said today in the Daily Telegraph, the players you know, seem to really enjoy the style of checker and really be responding to it. And as much as you can write a bit off a bit of that off as just your standard spin that teams put out, and they probably said the same thing about Michael Foley. I don't know, I, I just sort of buy it a bit more and I'm warm to checker a bit more and he, he seems I, I don't know, I've just got a little bit more faith that they are gonna come good and that's why I can persevere for a few lean weeks. Mm. Legs, where are you on it? Uh look I I think I'm probably pretty optimistic about about the Waratahs' chances, and I say that because I can see what they're trying to do, uh, and what I was saying before about watching them try and hit those gaps and bend the line and, and make line breaks and stuff, and they did it really consistently for a period during that game, and it was actually embarrassing because I tweeted Ian Payton, who's the Telegraph rugby writer, um, I tweeted Ian Payton about it and said, mate, look at how they're hitting the holes and as soon as I sent the tweet, they stopped doing it. <laughs> so, um, but they did do it for a period of about 10 or 15 minutes. They were just relentless and really consistent in hitting the right spot of the defensive line. So they're clearly working on the way they carry and who they hit and where it goes. And, and um, I just think if they can get... Uh, they're two, they're two or three men. They're only com- only committing a few guys to the ruck, and if they can get those guys to go harder in on the ball and just secure that ball a bit more, um, and be more consistent with the handling because their error count was sky high on the weekend, um, then I really think they'll come good, and I think they'll probably come good in a rush around about you know sort of round eight or something like that. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, really test the Blues um, when they play them and, and perhaps even beat them. And then, you know, they've got Western Force, they've got the Rebels and they've got a bye or something like that between now and round 10. Mm. And I just think they'll come good with a rush. I really do. I just think they've done too much hard work in the, in the off-season and they are clearly working on shifting the ball around and it takes time to get that, but when they get it, it'll be good. And as you say, the players themselves are very optimistic and there's none of that stench of... Of decay that there has been in past years, you know. Yeah, I think they'll come good. Okay. Well, I mean, we might as well uh, finish off talking about that game. If if we kind of go back and talk about the games from the weekend, I mean, they that was the Friday night game. Um, they ended up going down twenty six twenty seven to the Cheetahs in the end. Um, like you say, I mean, there was a, there was a hell of a lot of uh, positive uh, play in there, but uh, I'm, I'll confess I'm still catching up on the weekend's rugby because uh, um, I was, uh, as we mentioned, I was at Millamolong Polo uh, over the weekend, so I was either <laughs> driving there, driving back, or um, obviously stomping the divots, and so um, I've been trying to catch up on the games, and I've only seen the first half. Um, where did it all go wrong and right, Baba? Did, I know you've you've sat down and watched everything back to back. Um, what, what what do you remember being positive and negative out of the game? Well, I think the negative. I mean, the Tars just went to sleep for a couple of ten minute periods. The first ten minutes where they allowed the Cheetahs to score a couple of tries, and the last ten minutes where the Cheetahs basically got themselves back in the game. Then the Waratahs fruited away whatever chance they had of winning. Mm. Um, the Cheetahs are a kind of team. 
and it was evidenced well by their game against the Highlanders, that they just pounce on any mistake and they really make you pay. And if you give them an inch, they'll, they'll take a mile. Mm. And the Waratahs, you know, in the first 10 minutes, gave them that little bit of leeway and a couple of chip and chases later and, it's, and they're, you know, 14-3 down. And they battled back admirably from that um, and put themselves in a position to win and then, and then let it go again in the last 10 um, there were some yeah real positives obviously in the way that they attacked in that middle period and scored a couple of nice tries. Um, so and the look the Cheetahs are a good side. They're they're the best. I said in my article today they're the best version of the Cheetahs I think the comp seen, mm-hmm. and they're no longer the easy beats that they that they once were. So it, it's not a terrible you know it wasn't a terrible loss but it was again it wasn't one you know another game you could chalk up to what could have been and. and yeah, lost in the last five, ten minutes. Now, in the Green and Gold Rugby Team of the Week, um, we had a bit of a controversial uh, selection in there, which was uh, Israel Folau at, at fullback. And um, I know you said you were watching the defence uh, there for a while, Logs. I know that mm. um, I think it was uh, uh, Paul Cully uh, from the SMH uh, you know, said that he thought uh, Falau was out of position for the first try, and uh, let uh, missed a tackle on the second one, and therefore, you know, for him, didn't make the team of the week. What, what was your thinking around Falau at fullback on, on on the weekend? Look, I probably wouldn't have had him in the team of the week either. But um, and and yeah, I'd agree with Whiskey that uh, he was out of position a little bit on on a couple of occasions in defence. Mm. Um, but I did like him under the high ball. He was, he was just, he was very comfortable. Uh, and it, I think you can tell a lot about a guy's comfort under the high ball about how he, how he goes about it. You know, mm. how, how he goes forward and into the air with confidence. And, and Falau did that and he was very safe. So I think in that respect, um, that's a huge piece of, of fullback play. Uh, and you'll learn the, 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 positioning in defence as he goes along, mm. um, as long as he doesn't make too many huge mistakes. The one thing that um, probably bears mentioning about the Waratahs and about Israel Folau, um is the number of runs in the game. If you look at the stats and look at the runs in the game, um, so this is the number of runs per player, um, the top seven runners in the game in terms of number of runs were all Waratahs. Mm. Uh, Paddy Ryan, Bernard Foley, Michael Hooper, Peter Beetham, Ashley Cooper, Sidaleki Tamani, and on top of that was Israel Folau with 12. Um, so he certainly got his hands on the ball a lot, uh, and he made quite a few metres. You know, he made 85 metres, uh, no errors. So, you know, his stats are reasonably good, and he was good under the high ball, and I think the defensive positioning, it's not. Sure, it's critical for a fullback, there's no question, but... For a guy who's as early on in his career as Israel Folau is, I'd be very loath to write him off just mm. based on that because he will learn that. But he can't learn, you know, it's a lot harder to learn being great under the high ball and you can't learn pace and you can't learn courage and ball skills, which he has. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, I, I just want to say something on Folau. Is he, he's one of these players that, and it doesn't help that he's got a blue jersey on his back, but he suffers from, you know, an expectation. He's got an expectation management issue that's not of nothing of his creation. But it's got to a stage where now people expect Israel Folau to do amazing things, and now he's, you know, he's a league convert, he's a Waratah, so everyone, therefore, outside New South Wales thinks he's rubbish. Um, and Jesse Mogg, on the other hand, 
seems to, you know, scratch his ass out there and people will think it's one of the greatest plays pulled off on a rugby field at the moment. Mm. And that's why my issue with the team of the week was Jesse Mogg really didn't do much in the Sharks game. He scored one try. Can I just, can I just say that's, that's why I love this podcast, because you couldn't say scratch his ass on Fox Sports. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, but Jesse Mogg, all he did was, you know, he, he caught a few, he caught one ball and dived over. He made a couple of runs. He made one or two tackles, you know, it was a game where he didn't, you know, and fullbacks have these games, the Brumbies played brilliantly, but he just wasn't involved much, he didn't need to be. Um, and yet he makes Team of the Week because he's Jesse Mogg at the moment and everyone wants to line up and worship at the Shrine of Jesse Mogg, and that's great, but I think in terms of Falau had a lot more involvement and had a lot more pressure put on him, and I think the defensive errors that he made, especially in the first round, I think that was his error, um, the lack of a sweeper there is not it's not the fullback's responsibility to, to sweep for chip and chases. So I'm inclined to forgive one or two of his errors. So but that that's my uh that's my two cents on Falau at the moment because I, I think he's a bit better than what people are making out and I don't think he'll be a wallaby for the British Lions tour, but I do think he's certainly got a lot of potential going forward. Mm. So look I agree with all of that. So one guy that I think uh, we would probably agree should definitely have been in the team of the week from the Tars and was the, the teammate, as we mentioned, of Paddy Ryan, uh, was Peter Beetham. Um, he had quite an amazing game, um, really tore it up. And um, I'll tell you, you know, probably wasn't a week you wanted to be Drew Mitchell um, um, from, from that perspective. Um, was it just me or was he, was he, was he that impressive? What, what did you think about him, Lakes? I, I really liked him. Uh, I liked his strength in the carry and, and the way that he was able to um, just keep his feet, uh, you know, keep his balance and keep his feet moving and keep chugging forward even after the contact. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really valuable commodity for a guy um, who's that big and that fast, you know, because it can often mean, as we saw on the weekend, the difference between getting pulled down a couple of metres short or scoring a try. Uh, he just his hands let him down a couple of times, and mm. and um, I think it, it just looked to me, and I mean it's a it's a bit of speculation, isn't it, when you're watching it from um, a long way away on, on a screen? But uh, it looked to me just like he was losing a bit of concentration at times, and just not really focusing on on ball retention, and just a bit loose around the edges in his carry and and so on. But mm. wow, he's um, he's a big guy and he's very fast and. And as you say, terrible work to be Drew Mitchell. Yeah, no, he, yeah. he really took his opportunity there, didn't he? Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was amazed. I just want to say one thing on Beetham. I mean, much like Ryan, he was a schoolboy prodigy. He came through Joey's, uh, played Australian schoolboys for two years. Really looked like he was going to be the next big thing um, with Kurtley, along with Kurtley Bell. But then, sort of, really struggled to make his way and got kicked, you know, from a few, you know, from to a few different academies. And I think he played for the Brumbies and he went to the Rebels, and I think he also had a stint with the Tars in that period. And so I sort of had written him off as a bit of a journeyman. Um, and then apparently, you know, he went over to the ITM Cup, and I didn't see any of it, but was in great form and came into the Waratahs. And I'd heard good things, but I, you know, it still had him pegged as a little bit of, you know, what he used to be, a bit of a journeyman. And he just exploded. And it's, it's, um, yeah, after five years of being on the scene and not really doing much, to come out and do that was, was quite incredible. Well, with all these guys, Barbar, it's quite obviously they were just shattered by that loss to Shaw. <laughs> but that's how, that's how long it took to get over. Uh, yes. so the, now we rule the ARU and, and they're just starting to call back. Yeah. <laughs> Any respect. Exactly. 
Um, right, so look, uh, so let, let's move on from there. Um, the other game, oh, just for the score's sake, the other game on, on the Friday was the Highlanders-Hurricanes where the uh, Hurricanes won that 23-19, just to completely roger all my tips. Um, then the next day we had the uh, Chiefs winning away at Port Elizabeth beating the Kings 35-24. We had the Crusaders get it, trying to get their season back on track, beating the Bulls 41-19. And then the upset of the Aussie round, I guess it has to be said. Um, well, actually, was it? Yeah, it probably was. Um, the upset of the Aussie round was the Reds going down at home 12-19 to the force. Um, so, Logs, what, what the hell happened here? I just, I really don't know what happened. I, I was still trying to work it out. I mean, I, I think the force played, played pretty well. They definitely took their opportunities. And where they probably... Managed to hang in. I think it was just in that early part of the game um, where the sides were trading penalty goals, and um, you know the Reds probably let themselves down a bit by by giving the Force that many opportunities uh, to to just tick the scoreboard over. Mm. And I think that's the sign. That's something that the Force haven't really been able to do. They just haven't sort of managed to stay in touch with sides. And often when you see the Force um, still in the hunt at half time. It's not unusual for them to come out afterwards and, and go pretty well. And they've often won games against good sides where they've been in touch at half-time, but they've just had a habit of not being in touch at half-time. Mm. Um, but there were some good tries. And um, an interesting, probably an interesting thing for me was the number of phases they managed to string together. Uh, you know, they had four lots, I think, of, of seven-plus phases, which is, um, you know, a fair bit of pressure to deal with. Uh, when you when you're a side like the Reds, and if you look at uh, I think it was Alfie Marthy's try um, where Genya tackled him, and he still he just made it to the mm. line. Um, there was a bit of fragmentation at the back of that lineout that allowed Albie Matthewson to get through in the first place. Yeah. Um, Saya a terrible tackle, and and one of the Lucy who was outside him was sort of caught badly out of position. And it was Gill, I think. Don't look quite. I think it was Gill. Yeah, they don't look as Clinical, the Reds is what they mm. have in past years, and I, I'm not quite sure why that is. It's just a bit of change in personnel or whatever. But yeah. anyway, I think the, the force deserved it. Um, yeah. And they're, as I say, they're, they're in touch at half time, they're stringing phases together, um, and that's what will keep them in touch and give them a shot. Well, I'll tell you who um, really burst onto the scene, I thought, and for mine, probably would have got um, man of the round, Grinning or Brobby man of the round, um, would have been Albie Matthewson. Um, if, if that second try had been ruled a try, well, if that second try attempt had been ruled a try by, I think it was Rosalie. Um, mm. But Matthewson, what a game he had. Um, you know, absolutely tore the Reds um, a new one a couple of times there. Um, and I think we'd all known that he had, that he's a quality player, but just it hadn't come to the fore yet. Um, but he really came on, uh, didn't he? Did you see him kind of burst on the scene, Barbar, as well? Were you impressed by him? Yeah, yeah, really impressed. I mean, uh, the force has been looking for someone like Matthewson for years who can who can have that little bit of X factor and just challenge the line, take on the line that little bit, and and either go through holes himself or put other blokes through. And and that's where they've always battled. They've just been in the in the inside backs, just just lacked a little bit of that sort of flair and ability to um you know put the defence on edge. And that was the first time I'd seen him provide that. Um, and it was, and he, it was a real linchpin of the whole performance because um, they've always had fairly solid forwards and they've always had 
fairly solid backs without being anything special, but to have that that link in the middle that can just set it off a little bit and put it together, well, that 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 was. Uh, I mean, he was a crucial component. I think I dare say he won them the game. Yeah. Now, just to, as a bit of a, a tangent for a second, there was an incident that happened in this game. Um, and in past years, you've seen it, and actually, it's one of Wycliffe Palu's um, uh, traits. You've seen him do. I've seen him do it a few times. I've also uh, seen uh, the big Wallaby uh, second row uh, number eight for the Reds. Um, Samo. Samo. Rob Simmons. No, oh, Samo. Samo. Sorry, number eight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, where you're basically part of a ruck. Um, you look up, there's a gap in front of you, so you, you basically you reach down, pick up the ball and go. Um, and you go you know, straight through. So in, a, in essence, it's a, it's a pick and go, but you know, the ball's kind of behind you, if you like, or it's at your feet, and you kind of pick it and go. And in my mind, I've always had a question. I love it, and I love it when I see it when one of our teams, is, one of our players is doing it. But I must admit, I've always kind of questioned when is was that guy was he you know was he really uh the halfback or was he actually in the ruck and going and there was a couple of times on the weekend um Kaplan uh got one of the sharks for it and uh Toby Lynn got done for it in this game where he got pulled back by the ref and said no mate um you know you are actually bound as part of the ruck um you can't just pick it up and go um, to me, is this, I don't know if I'm just imagining it, but I haven't seen that penalised many times. It doesn't seem to be something that refs uh, pick up on. Did you guys, have you, did you see that and uh, have you got the same view? I mean, and what do you think about that? Is that something that, well, it's fair enough, there's no one in front, um, the ball's on the ground, they can pick it up? Or do we need to be a little bit more clinical about it, like seems to be kind of coming in? What, what do you think, Logs? You're, 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 you're coaching at the moment. Yeah, I didn't see, well, I don't recall that particular incident, but mm. I think I know what you're talking about. And I, I think it's one of those quirky little things where, um, you know, we have to allow, uh, you know, they can't have it sort of, the refs can't have it both ways. Yeah. So I think if, if I'm at the back of a ruck and, I'm, uh, and I've got my head down and I'm pushing or whatever, uh, and the ball's under my feet, then it's it's technically... Well, if, if the ball's underneath me, sort of in front of me, then it's technically still in, I suppose. Mm. But if I detach from the ruck, then the referee would say, OK, the ball's out. And if one of the opposition wanted to come around and pick it up, they could. So I have to say that if they can come around and pick it up, then surely I can also. Right. Um, that's so, my view on it. Um, yeah. But I'd be interested way- to ask a ref about it, but that would be my view. Yeah. Well, well, one of the one of the hard and fast rules that I go off in that is is the rule is if you're in front of the ball, you're offside. Um, as a general rule, when you're attacking, mm-hmm. and so I always think one of the one of the rules, and I think this is what Lynn did, is if you're reaching back to pick up the ball, mm-hmm. you're playing it from an offside position. Right. Um, if you if the ball's at your feet, or you know if you're basically behind the ball, or all the balls you know in front of your back foot, and you you sort of and that's a bit of a grey area where you know you might have, you know, one you'll be bound to the ruck or you, you'll be sort of in over the ball and you'll have the ball at your back foot and then you'll reach back, reach back to pick it up and then go. Um, well, that you, I don't know what the rule is there, but yeah, I agree with you. There's a bit of a sketchy area where because the defence has sort of factored you out of the the equation where you know you you're seen to be not in the play. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty it's a bit of a fifty fifty sort of area. But I know definitely if you're if you're in front of the ball and you're reaching back in back well behind you to pick it up, well then that's a pretty clear penalty. In my yeah, although I mean I guess it's going to be hard. You know, if it's too far behind you, then it's well obviously either under somebody else or it's out of the ruck anyway, right? So the ball is you know under your feet. It's between probably your two your legs because that's what's keeping it within the ruck. I guess the technical bit there is, as you said, Logs, have you completely unbound, like let go of the ruck, bend down, pick up the ball and go? Or have you maybe still got one arm on when you reach down, pluck the ball in your big mitt and then you're off? Um, and I guess in that second occasion, you're still bound as you're doing that. So you're still part of the ruck and it's hands in the ruck. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, well, or that or else you, you then put all the guys in front of you offside. Right, effectively, yeah. because you're playing the ball. Yeah, you know, it's the same as having. It's the same as the truck and trailer, really. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't all of a sudden create a situation where you become the ball carrier with other people in front of you. Mm. So, um, yeah, but I, I think, uh, I think if you detach, uh, then the opposition has equal rights to the ball, and good luck to you. Pick it up. I mean, it's no different, really, to a number eight picking it up at the back of the scrum. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, the ball it, under my feet, and I detach, and I pick it up, and I go. Well, I can go. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's probably about the way you do it. Then um, is is the is the rule. But um, anyway, it's one of those things that I think um, you know we've Ford's been able to get away with for a while. I you know I love it. It's always good to see, except for when Victor Matfield does it. Um, but uh, you know, anyway, it, it, that, that that sounds like maybe people are starting to pick that up a little bit more. Um, so yeah, so that's well. So that was the Reds uh, versus the Force. I mean, uh, interesting enough. So Scott Allen uh, did a, a bit of analysis today, uh, looking at Quade Cooper and saying, you know, asking the question, you know, has he lost his mojo or not? Um, and that's on the that's on the site now. You can have a look, and he's he's put some stuff together. Um, one of the things I that struck me watching it is in watching him play because for whatever reason he clearly is not at his best at the moment and clearly wasn't at his best in that game but one of the things that starts to strike me is that when he was at his best you know he had that ability to you know step two guys in a phone booth and we really haven't seen that for a while and I'm just starting to wonder if he's really you know if you have a really bad injury like he did have on his knee and it started out, you know, with that injury against Wales and that kind of in that third place playoff at the World Cup, um, when he was trying to do exactly that, you know, he was jinking on his knee when it went. And I'm, I'm just starting to question in my mind: has that mentally um, raised a block for him? You know, I could just imagine, you know, such a, um, you know, horrific injury kind of happening just as a physical muscle memory as you're doing something that's such an integral part of your game. Um, I could imagine that really causing a block, but what do you guys reckon? Is he? Do you think that part of his game's kind of gone? Because you know, in the past, actually, I would have sometimes criticised and said he tried to do too much of that when really he just needed to make the people around him move. But now it feels like, like on the weekend, the number of times he just kept looking for these massive cutout passes um, because to be, you know, he, he you know, he wasn't going to be the one taking the ball, ball to the line. He was just always trying to orchestrate something with his passing game, which, don't get me wrong, you know, if done the right way is fine, but I, I kind of feel like part of his game's gone missing. Um, what do you reckon, Logs? Am I barking up the wrong tree? 
No, I I totally agree. Uh, I think um, those sorts of those sorts of knee injuries are very hard to to come back from. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, I've had one myself um, and found that that it just took a long, long time. Oh, yeah, I'm certainly no elite player or anything like that, but it just takes such a long time to get any sort of feeling of normality back in it where you really feel like you can trust it. Mm. Um, and I think to contribute to to compound that, I think uh, Quade Cooper was rushed back. So I think he probably started playing rugby long before he had that confidence back in it. And mm. I think he's just carried that lack of confidence with him. I don't think he's ever really got that confidence back. It doesn't look like he's... Um, you know, that sort of stepping too, that really fast feet poppy sort of stepping is just hard on your knees and and a very hard thing to do. It demands a lot of explosion and a lot of a lot of force on your knee and, and I think he's uh, I think he's I don't think he'll ever really get it back much. I you know, I think it's a very hard thing to regain. It and it you lose that sort of step with age. You know, you look at some guys who've had that ability to step like that when they were younger and they've just ultimately had to find a different way to play because you lose that, that explosion quite quickly. Yeah. No, I don't, yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't think we're ever going to see the old Cade Cooper back. I, I personally think we've seen the best that we're ever going to see of him. Well, yeah, big statement, but I must admit, and it's not something you wish on anybody, but I don't know, just just watching it, it just feels like... Uh, there's there's a there's a bit of a gap there, and um, it's interesting so far reading some of the uh, the excuses that are building up at, in the comments of uh, Scott's article of all the reasons why Quaid isn't playing the way he is, and I, I do wonder if you know it's partly physical, partly mental, uh, um, you know, I think, could be part of that. I one. think best thing the best thing Quaid could do would be to sit down and watch a heap of the old Stephen Larkin tapes. Because where Quaid used to get his his little half second of space was with his fast feet towards the line, which made him unpredictable for the defence and gave him that ability. It set them back on their heel a little bit, made them flat-footed, and he mm. could then pass flat without the risk of a real intercept or else he could step at them and often, often make a little half-break and offload. Um, that's where his strength was. Steve Larkin used to be able to sort of drift at the line and create the same effect, create the same indecision, but he didn't do it with fast feet. He did it with this sort of drifty running where nobody really seemed to know what he was going to do. And I think if Quaid could replicate something like that, he then could use his ball skills again to, to create the same sort of stuff. I don't think he's ever going to create that indecision with that same sort of footwork that we've seen from him. Yeah. No, yeah. And... and as as Scott Allen rightfully pointed out today as well, I, I do agree that it doesn't help by the fact that the Reds just aren't clicking. The forwards aren't getting good go-forward ball for Quaid, and, and it's sort of all, yep. he's getting the ball on the back foot, and the blokes outside him aren't exactly on fire either. So, you know, it, it sort of compounds itself. So his already low confidence is, is getting even lower and lower. And, you know, he really needs that one game where everything just clicks and, and he can roll forward and get a bit more space and time and, you know, put a few blokes in holes and go through a couple himself and sort of try and get back on top. But the way the Reds are playing, you know, you you got to think, well, if they can't do that against the Force, well, you know, who are they going to who are they going to be able to do it against? Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think uh, the other bit is, you know, the, the two guys we're hoping are going to create some of that momentum because I just think the Reds they just haven't played. We we haven't seen a game where they've really, you know, cast your mind back to that, you know, the. Uh, 
the Super Rugby final they won and the intensity that they put into that match when they took on the Crusaders. And it was an absolute ding-dong shit fight um, at the breakdown. And they just, you know, we, we just haven't seen that level of intensity from them. Um, uh, definitely not this year. And, and uh, it's been missing for a little while. And I guess two of the guys we, we would hope would bring that back uh, would be, obviously, uh, James Horwill and uh, Will, Will Gagne. And... You know, both of them are coming back from very big injuries, um, you know, really serious leg injuries. And I thought Genya, for example, on the weekend, in the half that he played, I mean, he, he was playing on only, only half his game as well, um, which was, you know, he had, you know, some crisp distribu- distribution going, but he wasn't threatening the line or the edge of the rucks at all, which I can understand. I mean, you know, he, they're obviously just trying to ease him back in, but... I guess what that means, though, is that you know, and I'm, I would imagine Kev Hall is going to take a little while to to, you know, to to really be making the impact that we'd hope to see from him. Um, and so, anyway, well, also remember, you got quite a few different players there too. You know, you had back then you had Samo at his absolute best. You had Rod Davies firing and very very fast. You had Shipley playing really really well. Um, you had Horwell, you know, up front and on fire. So, you know, none of those guys played on the weekend. Um, Shipley was on the bench, but, you know, no Samo, no no Horwell, no Rod Davies. So, you know, it's there's a few strike weapons there that you're missing and Will Genya just getting back into it and Quade Cooper at sort of half pace. Mm. So okay, can I just show a hole in my knowledge? What 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 has happened to Rod Davies? Uh, is, have I been under a rock somewhere? Is he just injured? Yeah. Good question. I think I'm pretty sure he's just injured. I think he had a, a leg injury of some sort, yeah. um, okay. and I'm pretty sure he's still injured. Yeah. And I th- well, he was certainly injured last year and came back and then sort of fell out of favour a bit. He just looked. He just hadn't rekindled that form, and he's very small. And and I seem to remember mm. a few games where he was just completely outclassed. So mm. whether he's just sort of falling off the radar mm. is, um, you know, it's a possibility. I always remember that try he scored where. I can't remember who was it against. We remember he took this ridiculous outside line. Um, it was a couple of years ago now, and I think it might have been to run around like a Chiefs flanker, um, and he kind of ran like sideways across the field twenty meters, um, just because he knew he could, you know, he'd get the guy in the end. But um, so well, it'd be good to see him back on form. Anyway, look. So that was the Reds and the Force. But look, taking us through to what I thought was the most exciting game of the round, and quite unbelievable. Um, if for nothing else, for what it did to the home supporters, <laughs> um, in, in, in absolutely chopping out all the any support they might have had, was the Sharks being beaten by the Brumbies, twenty nine ten in the end. And uh, the Brumbies, I think they put on three tries within twenty minutes. It was it was quite amazing. Baba, what struck you? What was you know? What was the thing that struck you most about this this Brumbies win? Well, I think the thing that struck me most is just how clinical it was and how, you know, everything, every single member of the team just seemed to click in their role. Yeah. There was no, you know, I don't think there was any particularly brilliant individual performances, um, you know, games that sat, make you sat back and go, wow, um, because they were all so good and everyone just sort of did their role exactly right and the tries were... That's why I sort of I said it reminded me of the All Blacks because their tries weren't particularly dazzling moves. They weren't you know second third man loop cut out. It was just 
good hard forward play, taking blokes out of the line and then putting it through the hands and finding a gap and going through right. or putting it putting out to the winger who will go in in the corner. I mean, it was just so brilliantly simple and so well executed. And the Sharks couldn't do anything about it, really. They, they, they had no answers to it and I don't think any team would have had answers to it. It was just, it was unstoppable. Yeah. I can't remember which try it was in sequence, but... There was one try that I was thought was just breathtaking, and it was the one that Ben Moen, I think, started off with a bit of a, a half-line break. And then just as he went to ground, he just popped the ball up. Um, and there were about then three pop balls that were all completely directly behind the man. And I think it was the one that ended up with Tamua just getting over the line. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, it was breathtaking stuff and stuff that you hadn't, I hadn't really seen from an Australian team um, f- for a while. Um, I mean, how do you get a team playing like that, Logs? It's it's uh, they they were I mean, especially for that first half. I mean, they absolutely took the Sharks apart, didn't they? Yeah, they certainly did. And um, I think the way that you get a team playing like that is with a lot of emphasis on fitness. See, the skill involved with that try, the one you're talking about down the left hand side yes. where Tamua scored and. Um, uh, yeah, Moen sort of made that initial bust and then there was a, another offload. Leah Levipano was one of them. Uh, I can't remember who else. Mm. But guys have to be fit enough to get in a position to be able to take those offloads. Like, offloads are, um, they're very, you know, they're spectacular when they happen, but for the most part, they don't happen because a lot of guys aren't fit enough or don't have the drive to put themselves right in the carrier's hip pocket. And so to get those three offloads off the ground, you know, those pops off the ground that the Brumbies got there, what that speaks volumes about is the number of guys who are doing work off the ball to get that one metre behind the ball carrier. So when he went to ground, he just looked and there was a guy right there. And then that guy goes to ground and he looks and there's another guy right there. Mm. So they're they're working tremendously hard off the ball to put themselves in position to do that. And that just is fitness and structure. You know, Mm. they, they are fit enough to play that shape and then they know their jobs and they are just, the guys are there when stuff happens. And, um, you know, Jake White, I, He's just done such a tremendous job with this with this side, and thank God for the Brumbies because uh, if it wasn't for the Brumbies, there wouldn't be a lot to get excited about in Australian rugby at the moment. Um, <laughs> albeit that I think the Waratahs are going to come good, and it's nice to see the Force, you know, win away against the Reds and that sort of thing. But the Brumbies, the style of rugby they're playing, I think, is um, funnily enough, given the South African influence they have, it's a very Australian style, and, and it's a great to watch no well it, it is and i mean and just to echo what you were talking about there you know with those pops is as you watch them do it you can see that actually they actually expect someone to be there so it's not you know will someone be there i'll keep my eye out it's like no i i kind of i know someone is going to be and i know they're going to be running the right line they're not going to expect me to have to pass you know away from my body i know i'm going to be a just you know turn and pop and it's just uh i mean that try especially was just amazing um, another couple of tries, though, and um, he's raised my hopes a few times, um, and I hope he keeps it going. I find it, I'm really not sure how I'm supposed to pronounce his name. Um, is it, is it um, Aalua? Have I got... Aalua. Aalua. So, Aalua. Aalua. Aalua, yeah. Let's say it that way. Um, yeah, big uh, Fotu. Um, his two try setups were just fantastic. I mean, the, the first one, he just sucked in, I think it must have been at least three Sharks defenders. 
um, in sort of midfield, which just opened up huge gaps for a quick recycle. And then his second one, again, he just took, I think it was at least two players with him down the sideline, and then that beautiful little soft offload, um, which, uh, you know, put, I can't remember who it was, over in the wing. Um, wow. And then, you know, the number of, you know, trucking it up, just, just you know, literally just bulldozing over people um, throughout. Is he our, our best-looking kind of a number eight-shaped player um, at, at the moment? What do you reckon, um, Baba, I know you're a bit of a lover of Cliffy like I am, but what a game he had. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just incredible the ability that he has to just hurt people, and he's the only bloke in Australian rugby that can do that. I mean, Palu, Palu is a bit more of a rounded player than than, than Fotu, and he has a, you know, Palu has a very high work rate off the ball. But the thing about Fotu is, and, and it's what, he's a bit of an enigma to me because I remember saying a very similar thing about him at this point last season. Mm. Basically, whoa, where's this guy come from? How good is he? You know, wouldn't he be great to have off the bench in the last 20 minutes for the Wallabies? You know, he and he seemed to just, I don't know what happened, whether he got injured or he just sort of seemed to, to fall away a little bit. Um, if he can keep this form up, I think he's definitely something that the Wallabies Australian rugby doesn't have at the moment. That Sort of almost like what Willie O used to be. Yeah. That that uh, big brute who can just wrecking ball throw himself around and and change the course of a game. Because yeah, look, I'm a I'm a big fan. Yeah. No, he, he definitely has that ability to kind of drag two or three guys with him, doesn't he? And then uh, and then find somebody with an offload. But the other player who I thought um, you know came to the fore a bit more uh, this game was Matt Tamua. Um, so he scored the try that we were talking about, but then he also made another one with a lovely uh, cutout ball. Um, uh, you know, for 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 one of the other tries, uh, it's been interesting. You know, with a team that's been doing so well, when we've been picking the the team sheets or team of the week, when we've got to ten, it hasn't been a shoe in necessarily for Tumua. But I thought in this game, he really seemed to step up. What's been happening with his game, do you think, Logs? I mean, you know, he hasn't necessarily been shining. Is that just the nature of the way the Brumbies have been playing, or has he been working his way into the role, do you think? I think he's working into it. The thing that people forget about Matt Tamur is he's 22 years old. Um, yeah. It feels like he's been playing forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he was, he was, because he was picked as a Wallaby tourist in 2010. Um, so, you know, he's been on the scene now for three years, four years. Um, but he was only, you know, he was a kid then, like he's 22, 23 years old now. Mm. Um, adding to that, he, uh, he had a really serious knee injury last year. Um, and on that, uh, on that Wallaby tour, he broke his jaw, you might remember. So he really hasn't, he's been here, he's only, only young and he really hasn't had a full good season with a full good off season. Mm. Um, and so I don't think it's that surprising that you're starting to see him come to the fore a bit. And I think if he just manages to play rugby for a whole season this year, having been in the system for a while and with a team going well around him and particularly a forward pack with the likes of Alua who can give him some go forward and give him some space, um, you know, I think he'll he'll really come into his own towards the back half of the season, you know, and particularly with another guy like, alongside him like Leo Lefano who can um, take some of the pressure on off and step in at, at playmaker from time to time and... Um, both of them being in good form. Yeah, I, I just think Tamua is really one to watch. I wouldn't be surprised if... Um, I don't think he would make the Wallabies this year, but he 
he could well find himself on another tour in the next year or so, I reckon. Mm. No. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree, Lugs. I think he's he's been one of those players that, yeah, he's been around for so long but been, you know, a lot of problems with injuries and stuff. And, uh, look, I think at the start of this season, in the first few games, he was quiet. I think this game was the first one where I really said, wow, he had a good game. Um, but then again, my other point is, you know, on my my post say a lot of a lot of blokes were coming on and saying, Oh, he should be starting ten for the Wallabies, you know, against the Lions which I think is a little bit premature and uh, especially because I think anyone could look good behind that Brumbies pack at the moment. I don't think what Tamu is doing is particularly um brilliant. His his pass is good, his kicking game is good, his decision making is fairly good. But you know, it doesn't need to be brilliant because he's going forward, he's got good blokes outside him that know what they're doing. And against the British Lions, that's going to be decidedly different. So I'm not sure if he's he's the full package yet, but I agree, Logs, that you know, give him a full season on the park, and and who knows where he'll end up. And I, I certainly hope he, you know, I can see him really coming into his own late in the season, and hopefully in that final series and into the Wallabies beyond that. Mm. I tell yeah, you, I, I loved his work uh, in for the try that Henry Spade scored in the corner. Just yeah. you know, just very simple stuff. Straight at the defence, but then a lovely lofted pass, nice and wide. And um, and although it looked so simple, it it required him not to drift too far. Yeah. Um, it required him to fix the defence and then pass hard and flat across his body, which he just did really well. It was just a good set of little skills on show there, and that's the sort of thing that the good players do. Yeah, I tell you, one of the other. I mean, there's a couple of other things that caught my eye from the Brumbies. Um, Staying with the backs, I thought um, Kuadrani at uh, outside centre um, had a really good game. He was a real, you know, he's a big, big fella. Uh, He's got a bit of pace um, and was a real line bender, I thought. And interestingly enough, you know, just thinking about, well, who is, you know, the the Wallaby shoe in 13 at the moment? Um, You know, if he's got a smaller inside centre, let's, you know, if it's not a Pat McCabe. Um, even though Pat McCabe isn't necessarily big, but if you know the, the, the style of player, um, who is th- who is the thirteen? I guess you know you, you, we say Adam Ashley Cooper. You know he, he scored his first super try for something you know for something like sixteen games on the weekend. Um, so it was interesting to see another candidate there. Um, you know as a big strong outside centre, which might open up some different options for inside centre. So. I thought I thought that was interesting, but the thing that I really liked coming back to uh, where the where the main game goes on in the in the pack this season, you know, you watch the Brumbies and you know, well, sorry, let me take a step back. Last season, obviously, you know, they they had a very good season, and it was built around kind of not going backwards in the scrum. I would have said this season, I don't know if I'd been imagining it, but I kind of thought actually in a lot of these games they they're getting you know scrum superiority, and I thought on the weekend. Um, even Scott Seo, who hasn't been, um, you know, the first choice, uh, 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 I think it was Lou said he was playing on the, on the weekend. Um, he, I thought he absolutely, you know, took on, if not even took apart, Yanni Duplessis, um, the, the Springbok, uh, you know, tighthead, um, a number of times. And uh, the Brumbies were very solid on their own ball and managed to disrupt quite a lot of Sharks' ball, um, even getting some... Uh, uh, you know, tight heads. So, I mean, that's been something that's absolutely flabbergasted me this year. I, you know, with all the steps on they've done and so many facets of their game, they've also managed to do it um, in their scrum. And I know Scott Allen's been going on about their line-out. Um, they've just kept building 
you know, skill set and improvement after improvement. Um, so, you know, I mean, have you noticed this, uh, the, the, the Packers as well, Logs, or am I dreaming? Oh, no, I think um, most definitely. But you've got to sort of remember there's um, there's some guys in there who've been around a long time, you know. Mm. Stephen Moore and Ben Alexander have been around a long time and very, um, very capable guys. Peter Kimlin's been in the Brumby setup for a fair while and um, he wasn't really travelling that well under... Um, you know, Andy Friend and, and that sort of regime, but then uh, he's coming to his own um, with Jake White. Uh, mm. Ben Moen is just a colossus, and it's hard to believe how he gets left out of the Wallabies. Um, so to Alua, you know, he's had six seasons in, in pro rugby in France with Toulon, you know, so uh, he's, he's played with some really good players over there. Um, and I've got George Smith, so... It's easy for guys like for young guys like Sam Carter say to um, to play well because they don't have the pressure of trying to prop up other young guys. You know, they just play play the best they can. Uh, yeah, but so- the, the, the the thing that's oh sorry, I cut into it. The thing that's amazed me about and and Sio and Kuradrani are, are prime examples. The Brumbies, it's just their depth at the moment and their, and their sort of squad strength. And it's one of the hallmarks of the really great teams is, and it was one of the hallmarks of the Reds a few years ago where, well, you'd think a player would go down and you'd think, geez, there's no, it doesn't look like there's much here to, to fill in. And they'd find someone and they'd, and throw them into the deep end and they'd play like champions. And that's exactly what happened with Kuradrani and Sio. Mm. Both of these blokes have been around a little bit, but I mean, they've been playing some stints off the bench and they came on and they looked like not only seasoned super players, but, but dead set champions. Mm. And look, I, I disagree with you, Matt, that Kuridrani is a viable option for the Wallabies, but in that one or two games, I mean, and Fotu is the same, you throw him in off the bench and, and absolutely played the house down. And mm. so that, that really shows you what the strength of their squad is and, and how far they might well take it this year. And, and um, you know, barring too many injuries, they should be right there at the finish. Yeah. No, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not quite putting him forward for a gold jumper yet. I just think having somebody who's starting to, uh, uh, you know, put a bit of pressure on that position wouldn't be a bad thing um, for, for selection options somewhere, somewhere in the future. Um, but anyway, look, those two games that we just talked about with the Brumbies game and the Reds game are both um, a good segue into one of the big talking points, I guess, of today. I mean, there's a good reason why we didn't do the podcast last night is that overnight we hear, you know, Ewan McKenzie's mm-hmm. announced that he will be quitting the Reds at the end of the season. Um, one way or another, he's going to be coaching an international team, uh, whether that's the Wallabies or whether that's somebody else, but he's not hanging around waiting to see what happens. Um, you know, he's putting a bit of pressure on the situation. Um, Logs, how do you read it? What's the what are the what are the politics here? Uh, I was hoping. Well, I did try actually to to call a couple of guys in Queensland rugby today just to um, get it from the horse's mouth, and and I unfortunately I got a couple of voicemails, so uh, I can't give you any real insight other than my own speculation. But it doesn't. It really doesn't surprise me, to be honest. Um, Ewan is a career coach if ever there was one. You know, he's not a, a sort of a Chris Hickey who who I won't say fell into super rugby, but you know, coached club rugby for a long, long time and then sort of ended up coaching the Waratahs almost a little bit by default or something. But, you know, Ewan is a career coach in the mould of a career coach like a Jake White, you know. Yeah. And um 
and of course he wants to coach at the highest level. And if I was if I was him after taking, you know, an Australian World Cup winning, genuine all time great Test player, who then took an Australian team to a Super title, and was never really under any serious consideration to become the Wallabies coach, um, in in spite of the incumbent Wallabies coach being under some pretty significant pressure and not really facing, um, you know, not really doing, uh, getting results, I, I, I think Ewan um, is entitled to sort of put himself out in the open market. And it seems to me, the way I read it, is, OK, Australian rugby, you've ignored me this long. Here's your chance. If you want me, you can have me. Otherwise, I'll be coaching against you next year. Mm. And I think that's the way it looks to me. And, and good luck to him for doing it. You know, I think he deserves a shot. Yeah. And, and Barbo, what's your feeling on, I mean, Jake White is, I don't know if, you know, he, 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 you know, he's, he's not been backwards and coming forward and putting his name out there. Um, and, he, you know, the momentum seems to be building behind him. He's got the team that's performing at the moment. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the odds of, of him coming, coming through as more of a contender? Yeah, look, it's very early to say because it relies on so many things happening um, between now and then and whether Jake White wants to coach the Wallabies. You get the feeling that he probably would, um, but you never know, you know, until these things are on the table. I think Mackenzie, you've got to think it's a very, very shrewd decision by him because it looks like the writing is on the wall with the Reds this year, that they're they're probably not as good as they have been in the past and maybe the glory days are over. So he's sort of, you get. I certainly get the impression that he, he might be now thinking that it's a good time to get out and, 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 and um, he's certainly done brilliantly there for his career. And... To an extent, yeah, he's been he's suffered with poor timing, and that you know it seems like Robbie Deans is, um, you know he 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 had his highest point coaching at a time where Deans was fairly safe in the Wallabies job, and it sort of never quite happened for him. I hope it does, but um, you've got to think the next three months if the Reds keep going downhill and the and the Brumbies keep keep you know. Um, going higher and higher, then, then Jake White's going to be the man in the hot seat if after the Lion series. The, the job comes up. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you think there's going to be a lot of opposition from people that says, you know, the Wallaby coach should be an Australian, and you know, we've got a cricket coach as African, and it seems like, you know, all of our coaching positions are, um, are foreigners. But uh, I think if the, you know, the, you've got to look at the scoreboard, and, and a bit like Dean's, you've got to say his his, his resume speaks for itself. And it's, except with Jake White, he's working from within an Australian team, so he's already got that base, and you can say that. He knows the Australian psyche and all that sort of crap that they go on with when foreigners are appointed. Mm. I, I also wonder about the timing of this with regards to that story that was broken, I think only about a week ago, wasn't it, that um, Greg Groudon, now at ESPN, broke, um, which was some about some um, insider at the AAU basically saying that the only way Mackenzie was going to get the gig was, you know, if, if his bum was no longer pointing at the ground. Um, you know, and and saying that you know Mackenzie being a forward um, ruled him out of of, of running and <laughs> of coaching Australia. I mean, I I just hope that was a furphy mm. because it would be such a dumb thing to say. But I, I you know that aside, I wonder if this is Mackenzie saying, look, guy, you know, 
he's taken that on board and he's just sort of said, look, okay, I can't just keep playing, wait patient, that with the wait, you know, be good and wait patient in the game. Um, as you said, Logs, this is it. You know, I need to make a move at some stage. I can't stay here forever. Um, I read it with interest that actually the only other coach that's coached as many Super Rugby games um, as Mackenzie is actually Robbie Deans. So, Robbie Deans, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I he's, think he, he, he's done his time. So, sorry, I was just going to say the interesting question is if he doesn't get the Wallabies gig, what other international gigs are up for, up for grabs? And you'd think that perhaps... Uh, after Ireland was beaten by Italy on the on the weekend, there might be a a job in Ireland. Yeah, I, I think I think the yeah. discussion there is not. Yeah, it's not if it's it's who now with the with the Irish um, coaching and with Les Kiss there, um, who was Ewan's old buddy at the Tars. Um, he's definitely going to have a recommend. You would think. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I think the other thing with Mackenzie is, I mean, Groudon certainly today said he was looking at the Ireland job. Mackenzie and and look, I, I think there's we sort of well, I certainly spoke before as if it seems the Wallabies' job. Of, if he doesn't get it now, it's going to pass him by. I mean, he's still relatively young in 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 coaching terms, and uh, I certainly think he could go away and do a couple of years. And if he's successful with Ireland or he's successful with a Northern Hemisphere side, um, you know, he can come back and coach the Wallabies. I, I I don't think it's ever going to be you know I don't think the ship is ever going to sail. Um, for him, and if he keeps coaching well, then you know his name's always going to be one of those guys that's thrown in the hat. And you know, John Connolly had to wait fucking ages to to get the to get the job after being fairly successful for a long time. So, yeah, I don't think it's the dream's over by any means. I would like to know one day what that what that is that he's done that um, you know basically got his name blackballed because um, uh, you know that was you know my understanding, especially with him and the O'Neill administration, was that. It was a um, anyone but, uh, and there was obviously some history there. Um, I don't know what that is. I wouldn't mind knowing what that is, though. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, that, that's the news uh, with that. Um, the only thing I was going to mention there is a bit of a self-promo. Um, if you haven't noticed already on the site that we've started sort of like a, uh, each day now we do a top stories. So that was one of the top stories from today, and um, you'll see that on the site every day. Um, get in there. It's usually there before nine o'clock. So, you know, on your way to work or when you get to your desk or whatever else, it'll be there. And we're also, we've got now a daily email, um, which will have those stories and others, what else is hot on the site. So you can punch your email um, on the, at the top of the site and um, you'll get one of those emails every day. So, um, you know, you, 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 it'll come straight to your inbox. You don't even have to come to us anymore. So just a little ad there. Um, other news, uh, well, staying at the international level, um, and you mentioned about uh, Ireland going down to Italy. Um, Six Nations wrapped up on the weekend. It's interesting, obviously, because we've got the um, Lions, obviously, just around the corner. And I think where a lot of people were thinking England were probably going to take a lot of spots it's amazing what one game can do. Um, 30, I mean, I think they, what was it, they won 30-3 to 3 or something like that, the, the, the Welsh. Um, it was a good old-fashioned spanking against the English. Um, either of you guys managed to see, see this game yet? No, I didn't see that one, unfortunately. Here. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the tries, I mean, and the highlights. By all accounts, it was a fairly close first half, and then the Welsh... Came and blew the palms away in the second half, and mm. it was it was the performance was led by 
the old stages that's, that were around and led them at the 2011 World Cup and had seemingly gone off the boil. Guys like Mike Phillips and Sam Warburton and Toby Faletau, and it looks like they're all of a sudden right back on the Lions' radar. So when for a second there it looked like it was going to be the Lions was going to be you know uh, dominated by sort of younger English players that we hadn't really had much exposure to in Australia. Now it looks like it's going to be a lot of those Welsh guys that we've seen at bloody nauseam over the last couple of years. So <laughs> I think that's probably a it's probably a good thing actually that, that there's a bit more of a known commodity now. Um, for the, from an Australian perspective, and I'd certainly think they should be comfortable against a lot of those Welsh players because of our record over them in the past couple of years. Yeah, you know, it's an in, it's an interesting conundrum that one, isn't it? Um, you you would say all those Welsh players, in some ways, bring a lot more class and experience, but the one thing we do know is that we're much better at beating them than we are at beating the Poms, um, one way or the other. So. A Welsh-dominated side probably um, helps our cause more than anything else. But, you know, good timing by Gatlin's team um, there as far as um, getting themselves up and ready um, for the Lions. Um, so, yeah, an interesting end there. And, and also interesting to see France uh, managed to pull out a victory, I think, over Scotland it was, but didn't rescue them from being bottom of the table. Um, and both them and Scotland below... Was it them and Scotland or them and Ireland? Below um, Italy, actually. In the, uh, in, in the in the in the in the final rankings there, so uh, I think it was them in Scotland, yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, geez, uh, you know, quite a turnaround, and, and Italy really making big big strides. So actually, just on that, I'm prepared to go out on a limb and say that in view of France's performance um, or lack thereof in the Six Nations, that you uh, and Mackenzie will be the new French national coach next year, and, and bearing in mind that he's already got some experience coaching in French rugby. There you go. Well, yeah. <laughs> you'd, you'd, be a, you'd be a brave man to take on the France job, wouldn't you? Oh my God! Second helpings. Is yeah, but of, but if you look craziness. at the way you look at the way the Reds were playing when they won the won the um, Super Fifteen, then uh, you know that's that's French rugby, isn't it? Really, that sort of really expansive, entertaining game with uh, a hard forward back up front. There you go. I'm sticking to it. I'm I'm expecting you guys to be patting me on the back in eight months' time when it all comes to fruition. Oh and I'll be paying for. We'll be look, um, sending you and off to the funny farm. I think another stint coaching a French team might just drive around the bend. But just to confirm that the, the Six Nations table ended up Wales, England, Scotland, Italy, Ireland, and then France. So Scotland and Italy, uh, you know, really turning the tables on those two powerhouses. And uh, you're right, Legs, I'm sure we might see some retribution uh, based on that for some of the coaches there. Now, mm. that's the minor stuff. Um, there were some other big tournaments on the weekend, I understand. Um, is it the, was it the Orange Tens? I mean, all three of us were in the same neck of the woods. I think both of you guys <laughs> yeah. were, um, were watching or playing in Orange. Was that right, Baba? What were you up to there? Yeah, I was there for the Orange Tens, the... Uh... Which is a you know it's not a huge competition, but it's um, a good uh, little preseason thing that I do with my subbies club in Sydney, which we go down and and have a bit of a team bonding weekend. And we were well beaten in the rugby, um, but uh, certainly um, it was a great weekend off the field. And uh, yeah, Orange is a great little town, so it's not really little at all. But um, it's a, it's a good place to come around and um, yeah, play a bit of footy. And did you spot him there? Loads. You didn't. You didn't try and no, get, him, get him on a contract, did you? While he was there. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, we didn't um, come up against each other in the draw. So uh, no, we were at different on different fields and different places um, all the way through the day. Okay. 
So, no, we missed each other at that one, unfortunately. Good, good day, though, was it, guys? Yeah, yeah, no, it well, was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. There were some, uh, some nice cold beers on the sideline, and um, I have to say it was nice not having to play for once. It, it was very comfortable on the sideline. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was bloody hot, too. It was about, it was 30 degrees. You know, it seemed like it was 35 degrees out there, and you're only playing 10-minute halves, but Jesus... <laughs> I'm still not quite got my fitness levels up to up to scratch, so it was uh, yeah, you were blown hard after the first couple of couple of phases. Yeah, well, I, I, was, I was a shock. I was having trouble just watching polo, so I don't know how you're getting oh. with playing. Really I know. Well, I hope the Chardonnay was kept cold. God, I mean, if, if that got warm, then it'd be okay. things would have gotten out of hand. No, thankfully it was fine. Yeah, we had cool, we had cool boxes. Don't worry about that. Uh, but no, we had a great day out there. It was um, at the same place you were talking about where you played with the Silver Foxes, the Miller Molon. Um, a lot of hipsters from Orange there. Um, oh yeah, Orange is a very hip town. Yeah, a lot of lot of hipsters, <laughs> I got to say, and and they were there till late, and um, they yeah. Anyway, didn't stop them drinking being a hipster, that's for sure. Um, look, looking ahead to this weekend, um, but before I forget it, uh, another shout out is that this weekend is the um, Australian Club Championship. Um, and it's between Sydney Uni and Brisbane Uni, and uh, it's going to be the curtain raiser to the Tars against the Blues. Um, so I've been propagandized by the Queensland Reds uh, team, uh, media team, who informed me that the last three times that Sydney Uni has played a Queensland team in the Australian Club Championships, they've, they've lost. Um, so um, we need to get one back for the you know pride of, of New South Wales rugby um with sydney hopefully bringing it home uh this weekend but uh, speaking about this weekend so just looking forward to the games that we've got um where are we here so we have got the uh, friday the 29th of march uh, highlanders uh reds away at the highlanders uh, hang on that's 10 days away what am i talking Sorry, about 22nd of march shall i try this to 22nd yeah let's do that shall we um chiefs are hosting the highlanders on friday um, and then we've got uh, the Reds hosting the Bulls, who are on their way back from New Zealand. Uh, they're looking a pretty good side, the Bulls, this year. This is going to be a bit of a test, isn't it? Um, what are you going to be watching out for there, Lowe? Um, I, I just think the Bulls never seem to travel well in their second week, and they're always a bit vulnerable, and the Reds have got a pretty good record against the Bulls at, at home. So... Um, I always like to just see, uh, have a look at the Bulls forwards early because having lost um, Victor Matfield and Bucky Spiker, they've, uh, they're just not quite the, they don't quite have the starch that they, they once had. You know, Pierre Spice is still not, I don't think he's, he scored a try last week, but I just don't think he's quite the sort of form player that he used to be. So mm. if the Bulls forwards can, can um, rediscover a bit of their, uh, their, what would you call it? Their inner rhinoceros or something, um, <laughs> or their inner bull, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they'll be a handful for the Reds. But as I say, they don't tend to travel well on the way back. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about then uh, the Cheetahs, who I guess I, th- I think I assume must be on their way home as well. Force are hosting them on uh, Saturday night. Um, Baba, what's your thoughts on that game? Yeah. Look, this would be a good game. I- I'm probably going to have to tip the Cheetahs. Um... You know, both obviously coming off some winning form, and the Force are returning to the have their first home game of the season. Um, amazingly, in week six, 
But, um, you know, you've got to think, hopefully, the crowd turns out after last week and, and they can really, really put forward a good performance. So I think it'll be a close game. The Cheetahs have been on the road now for, uh, for three weeks. This will be the fourth week on the road. You've got to think they're getting tired. But the Cheetahs are one of these teams that you just can't pin down and you can't work out. And they got flogged by 50 the first week and came out and won the next two games. So... Yeah, so this one's a tipster's nightmare. I'd probably go with the Cheetahs just because I think they've got a touch of class the Force don't have, but I wouldn't be surprised if it went the other way. All right. So then it's the... Uh, and then uh, we've got the uh, Crusaders uh, hosting the Kings, um, which I think actually might be the first game that day, but it's uh, in a bit of a strange order. Um, then on Sunday, three uh, three games, two of them in the morning our time, though. You've got the Sharks hosting the Rebels. Um, it's going to be a toughie for the Rebels. I think the Sharks are obviously going to be uh, pretty incensed after their loss, and I think the Rebels might feel the brunt. Uh, they've got a bit of a trip. Um, hopefully, maybe they can put together more than one half, but my sense is they're going to be uh, you know, pushing water uphill there. And then a big game. Um, I know the Brumbies are really taking this seriously. Um, they really want this game. And that's the Stormers hosting the Brumbies at three in the morning. Um, Logs, what do you reckon? Brumbies in, in with a shout here? Oh, look, it's going to be a fantastic game, isn't it? Mm. Uh, but the quality of the Stormers is underlined by their um, their win in round four over the Chiefs. Uh and you know they're a they're a tough um, assignment at home, uh, so I think it'll be a very very tough one for the Brumbies. Um, I I I'll still be tipping them um, because I think uh, as Baba said before, some of their tries are just so clinical in their execution, and their handling is very very good. They've got go forward. Um, they've got. Uh, backs that are playing well and taking advantage of space, you know, I, I just really think they can, I think they can win. And whether or not the Stormers coming off a bye is going to help them or not, it may freshen the Stormers up or equally it may just, um, perhaps put a, a little ding in their early season momentum. Um, but yeah, I'll be tipping the Brumbies. I, I think the Brumbies are on just fantastic form and, and I really think they can, they can win. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, it's going to be one ding-dong of a battle um, either way. Um, and then we've got a game which sees whether the uh, Waratahs can get their season back on track. Baba, they're hosting the Blues. It's an afternoon match um, out at um, Allianz Stadium. Um, what do you reckon? How's it going to go? Well, I don't know, to be honest. I think this is going to be an absolute bottler of a game, though. It's Sunday afternoon. The forecast's good. Hopefully there'll be a pretty big crowd. The Blues have got a ripper of a team this year. They've discovered some some great new talent, um, and you know they were looking really good the first few rounds, but then they had a bit of a flat loss. The the Bulls a couple of weeks ago they've had the bye, so it'd be interesting to see how they come out. Um, there's a chance that they could blow the Waratahs off the field if everything goes well, but at the same time, if the Waratahs click like they've sort of been promising, they might. Well, then it might be a different story. I, I, look, I think it's going to be one of those games that comes down to the last ten minutes, and and um, which team's prepared to step up and take take the four points. Um, I hope Checker sticks with guys like Peter Beetham and Paddy Ryan, and the blokes that have been performing, and doesn't doesn't change too much because I think that team on the weekend was was almost there. 
Um, oh, actually, the one change I wouldn't mind seeing, and I'm not sure how this affects the goalkeeping, but I've really been impressed by Matt Lucas, the reserve half. Um, and uh, Brendan McKibben, I think, didn't have his best game last week, missed a few tackles quite crucially. Um, and so I'd like maybe a change there. But, um, yeah, look, I, look, it's going to be a great game. Yeah, I mean, that's tricky with goal kicking because I think the other news today was that uh, Barrick Barnes is out for probably about six weeks um, yeah. with the thumb operation, I think. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that does make them a bit, give them a bit of a headache because um, I'm struggling to think, who is the other goal kicker if it's not McKibben? Well, I think Bernard Foley may be able to kick, but, yeah, yeah. You, you're certainly not looking at what you would call an established super rugby kicker. Yeah, okay. Well, look, some cracking games there and an afternoon game as well, um, which, oh, for lots of different reasons, I don't look like I'm going to be able to get to, which is killing me, but um, that, should be, that, should be, that should be a cracker um, between those two. Um, and I think that's about it for this week. Uh, anything we've missed, guys? Anything egregious we've left out? It's been a bit of a long one, but geez, there's a lot that's happened over the last week and some um, oh. um, great games that we need to do some justice to. Um, oh, look, and it, was all, it was all quality too. I don't think there was any sort of moments where we, we uh, dipped our performance there. It was, um, <laughs> it was a full 80-minute full effort, I thought. Brumby's like... Yeah, exactly. Um, well, and that, yeah, and yeah, every team should be 15 Brumbies from now on, as we all know. Um, right, guys, look, thanks for joining. Um, you know, and uh, we struggled through the technical hitches. Thanks, everybody who's downloaded and listened. Um, always appreciate that. Remember to leave comments and um, everything else. Let us know what you think about it. Um, and uh, just leaves me to say uh, thanks for letting us come in your ears, and we'll uh, hopefully see you again next Tuesday. And uh, thanks for joining me, boys. Yeah, no too. worries. Thanks, Matt. Seven Yeah.